in a world where some of the greatest motion pictures ever made are reaching their 30th anniversaries. One group of friends gathered together to pay tribute to these films. Pat Cantagallo. Dennis Matouche. Jeff Mazuka. Each week, we take a look back at one movie that is reaching that 30-year milestone. Whether you love seeing these films in the theater or enjoying them for the first time at home, we invite you to join us this year as we travel back in time to 1986. I am your host, John Reed, and you're listening to the 30-something Movie Podcast. That's right. You're listening to a very special episode, um, one that we had not originally planned to have come out, but we thought today it was appropriate. Uh, You are listening to episode number 63 of the 30-something movie podcast. We do hope you enjoyed our episode last week in which we enjoyed a very spoilery-filled discussion about the early preview screening we got to see of Captain America Civil War. Oh, man. I'm, I'm still reeling. Uh, underoos and that whole thing. Um, but anyway, this time around, which we've decided, I think we've decided that's going to be Pat's uh, new nickname. It's just Underoos. Um, this time around, though, I have been left all alone on the island in this elaborate mansion, which has nothing creepy at all lurking inside of it. Uh, that's right. It's by myself, and it's April Fool's Day. But am I talking about the movie from 1986, or did I just lie to you about everything I just said? You be the judge. Okay, well, anyway, we spoil the events of every movie we talk about. So if you have not seen it yet, please, 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 please go watch the movie first. Or if you don't care so much about spoilers, you can take a listen to our episode and then decide if you'd like to watch it after that. But if you care about being spoiled, make sure that you go watch the movie first because we will spoil plot points of the movies we talk about. If you could, please, two different requests. Uh, Leave us a review on iTunes. Um, It's perfectly fine if you give, give us five stars. Um, we'll be okay with that. You know, we won't feel awkward about it the next time that we, you know, see you on the street or something like that. It's, it's perfectly acceptable for you to go give us a five-star review on iTunes and tell us how we're doing. Also, second request, could you tell your friends about us and then have them tell their friends and then go tell complete strangers? And then the next time you're loading the contents of a time capsule and burying it into the ground to have it opened up 50 years later... Put a message in there to tell future people about us. And you can send them to 30podcast.com because that's the best place that they can go to get more information on our show, to see more stuff that maybe we didn't have time to cover during the podcast. Um, It's also got uh, a form that you can fill out to send us ideas for other movies we could talk about during the year that we're working on. This year, again, uh, is 1986 for our movies. Um, And it's got all of our other stuff, our Facebook, Twitter, email, email. show voicemail line, all that other stuff. So you can find all that at 30podcast.com. All right. Well, uh, I think we're just going to go ahead and get on into it. Um, because We just had an episode come out a couple days ago. So we're going to go ahead and get on into this one. We are talking April Fool's Day. This one came out March 28th, 1986. Rated R. The director was Fred Walton. Uh, he directed When a Stranger Calls, When a Stranger Calls Back, and The Rosemary Murders. Producer was Frank Bancuso Jr. He did some of the Friday the 13th movies, Ronin, Species, Stigmata. Uh, The writer was Danilo Danilo Bach, who did Beverly Hills Cop, uh, and then did also, I think, some screenplay work or the screenplay for the April Fool's Day remake that was done in 2008. Music was done by Charles Bernstein. 
He did A Nightmare on Elm Street, Deadly Friend, Kill Bill. Then he did some work, not as the composer, but he did some work on certain pieces of music in Kill Bill Volume 1 and in Glorious Bastards. The budget for this one was $5 million, and the box office was $12.9 million. Starring in this movie, we had Jay Baker playing Harvey. He was in The Incredible Hulk Returns, Naked Lies, and Shag. Pat Barlow played Clara. She was in an episode of 21 Jump Street. Lloyd Berry, the ferryman, uh, was in Jumanji, Scary Movie, Aliens vs. Predator Requiem. Deborah Foreman, kind of our main character in this one, Muffy or Buffy, St. John, uh, was in Valley Girl, My Chauffeur, and Waxwork. Deborah Goodrich played Nikki. She was in a movie called Just One of the Guys. Tom Heaton played the constable uh, and Uncle Frank. Uh, he was in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, Shanghai Noon, and Reindeer Games. Mike Nomad played Buck. He was in Cocoon, Jason Lives, Friday the 13th, Part 6, U.S. Marshals, and Snake Eyes. Ken Oland played Rob. He was in Summer School and Leprechaun. Griffin O'Neill played Skip. He was in The Escape Artist and The Wraith. Leah, I think it's Leah, Leah Pinsent played Nan, the kind of bookish, nerdy Nan character. Uh, she was in The Little Kidnappers and Virus. Clayton Rohner played Chaz. He was in Just One of the Guys, and Sometimes They Come Back for More and The Relic. Amy Steele, Kit, was in All My Children and Friday the 13th Part 2. She played the part of Ginny in that one. Thomas F. Wilson played Arch, or Archie. Uh, you would know him as Biff from Back to the Future. Rotten Tomatoes, the critics gave this one a 33%. Audiences gave it a 47%. Uh, could not find a review from Siskel or Ebert on this one. Uh, could not find awards for this one either. For, for, probably for some good reasons. Summary on this one. A group of eight college friends gather together at an island mansion belonging to the heiress, Muffy St. John, to celebrate their final year of college. They soon discover that each has a hidden secret from their past, which is revealed, and soon after they turn up dead. Yet, are they really dead? Or is it just some part of a very real and cruel April Fool's joke? The hostess, Muffy, is the only one who apparently knows what's going on, but then again, is it really her doing the killing? Okay, uh, we'll play the trailer audio real quick, and we'll be back in just a moment. Paramount Pictures cordially invites you to the party. To end all parties. April Fool. <laughs> you are such a jerk. <laughs> Is something wrong? April Fool's Day. Get ready to party till you drop. Rated R. Alright, so some quick background on this one. This was loosely based, or at least inspired by or had a very similar premise to the Agatha Christie novel Ten Little Indians, also known as And Then There Were None. Um, this movie is not too violent, so it would be aired on late-night TV sometimes, and that's where it got its cult following from. This was also made by Paramount Pictures, which also made Clue in 1985, so this was not the only murder-in-a-mansion mystery uh, that they did in the mid-'80s. All right, so we'll just get right into it with this one. Um, this is one of those movies that is, on its face, looks like a murder mystery. I recognized the DVD case right away um, when I saw this one online, and I thought, well, you know, this would be a perfect... We hadn't planned to do this one. That's why the other guys are not here. I just thought this would be a perfect movie to do for April Fool's Day because it's called April Fool's Day, and it came out in the year that we're doing right now, 1986. So... 
Um, yeah, the DVD case, I remember you might have seen it in the store somewhere. It's got the picture of uh, usually the girl is kind of holding a knife behind her back. Her friends are around a table. They're getting ready to have some kind of a celebration, and you see that her ponytail is in the shape of a noose. So if you've seen that DVD cover before, you have seen the April Fool's Day 1986 DVD cover. So a few things about this movie. It, like on its surface, it is that kind of murder mystery um, kind of that teen slasher movie uh, type vibe to it. Um, but one thing that it becomes clear pretty quickly is that this is more of a, maybe a little bit more of a spoof, um, that it's, you, you kind of get these instances at the beginning of their, you know, they're, they're taking the genre of the slasher horror film and, and the teen slasher horror movie and kind of you know, poking fun of it, spoofing it. Um, you've got the the guy that is always carrying the video camera around with him, um, you know, videotaping everybody, kind of getting the introduction to the characters that way at the beginning. Uh, the first April Fool's prank that you get um, is when they're playing with a knife on the ferry as they're going to get trying to get onto the island, and um, they're tossing this knife back and forth. It's Thomas F. Wilson and and I think it was Skip, the other character, and they're tossing it back and forth, and he throws the knife at him. And it looks like it goes into his stomach and he falls off the side of the ferry. But then when they jump in to try to rescue him, he pulls out and shows that it was a fake knife. And everybody laughs and, yeah, ha, ha, April Fool's. So it kind of starts off that way with a, hmm, is this one of those movies where you're never going to know quite what's real and what's not real? Or is this just somebody trying to do some dumb April Fool's joke and, ha, ha, they mention the name of the movie in the movie. Um, now we can get on with the rest of the murder mystery piece of this. You're not quite sure. And you know what? A lot of people, I did, I read a couple of uh, reviews of this online, and a lot of people said that they felt like it started pretty slow. And it was a little slow going, especially for this type of movie. I thought um, you had established the characters pretty well in the beginning. I will say some of the characters are not very well distinguishable from each other. I know that they, they're each meant to be some type of stereotype of teenagers and college age kids, but. Really, there were different times during this movie that, as I watched it, I was kind of like, I, they're all blonde, particularly the girls. Um, the girls in the movie, were they were all blonde, and I'm watching this, and I'm thinking, I don't, other than Muffy, she wasn't blonde, um, I, I don't remember which one is which. Like I, I lost track of, of which character, I forgot their names. Um, lost track of it. They weren't distinguishable enough from each other for me to really know, oh, yeah, that one's Nikki and this one's Carla or, or uh, Clara. And it just, I kind of lost track of it as I was watching it. Again, let me jump back for a second. I didn't see this, obviously, when it came out or even back in the 80s. This was the first time I'd ever seen it. So first time seeing it is when this movie is 30 years old. There were some suspenseful scenes. Um, when Nikki, there's a scene where Nikki kind of goes down into a well. Um, and as she's down in the well, she kind of slips and falls. And as she's down there, all of a sudden heads start popping up out of the water. And it's the heads of her friends who have disappeared. That part was kind of creepy. And, um, you know, they're trying to get her out of there. And then all of a sudden, like, a body floats up to the surface. And that was a very suspenseful kind of creepy part. Um, so, you know, that had it going for it. But at the same time, it, there were... What did that it take? Oh, let's see. Um, it really kind of took about 45 minutes or so to really get into the story. This is only an hour and a half movie. So 45 minutes to get into the story, 
to where people start disappearing and, you know, you, you realize that there's something else going on here. And then about an hour and 15 into it, that's when you find out that it's the twin sister doing the killing. Um, and then an hour 16, you find out that it's been an April Fool's joke. So it's the end moves pretty quickly, um, but it just it took a while to get there. So in a couple of reviews that I was reading, and people had reviewed this back in the day, they had said it's it's very slow. It's got a slow start to it. It's very slow. Modern audiences might even think it's even slower. Um, so you know that that kind of has it uh, going against it. Some of the things I did like about this movie was that I felt like it was it was trying to be Scream before Scream came out. You know, this was this was '86, um, so this is several years before Scream, and it was kind of that same type of um, you've got this group of friends, they're young people, they're beautiful people, they're but it's uh, taking the idea of the teen slasher film and kind of playing with the conventions of it and spoofing it. And so I think this one was trying to do what Scream would do successfully a few years later. This one just it just didn't quite click. And you had, I mean, this collection of actors that's in this movie. A lot of them were in TV movies or on TV shows. A couple of them you'd recognize from other things. But for the most part, um, not, not really. Um, same thing with the director as well. I mean, mostly um, what the you know director and the writer had done in this. You know, they'd done a couple movies here and there, but it was mostly TV and TV movies, so not really big name stuff. Um, you know, the only one that would keep going with you know horror movies or or you know sci-fi horror movies would be um, Mancuso would be the the producer who would go on to do the Species movies and and a couple of others. So. Um, you know, not not a bunch of powerhouse actors and, and directors and all that, um, but it has it has kind of gathered up this cult following. Um, a lot of people love this movie as one of the good, or well, they say great, 80s teen slasher movies. Um, you know, the funny thing about this is it's very, very tame compared to a lot of other movies. There's really no, there, by the time you get around to it, there are no deaths. Like, no one actually dies. Um, you know, so the the violence piece of it, it's not... While there is some violence in it, there is no body count. So you don't have that to worry about. It's And especially as you get to the end of the movie and you realize that it is a joke, that it's one of those... You almost kind of get a sense of a, oh, was it just a dream? A little bit like the, the Nightmare on Elm Street stuff. Um, was this just a dream? Is this real? Is this... You know, what can I trust? And... There's just so many times that somebody kind of, you know, they almost wink at the camera and they're like, April Fools. And then that creepy little um, Jack in the Box. There's this whole scene in the beginning where there's a little scary Jack in the Box with a monster that pops out of it that um, Muffy or Buffy, depending on who she is at the time, sees in a flashback and she's kind of playing with it at some point. It comes back at the end of the movie and she's playing with it and it. And the little this little thing pops out, and this time it's just a it's a clown. It's not a monster or anything. Um, but at the very end of the movie, the last scene of the movie, when uh, Nan, after they've realized this is all a big joke, it then kind of cuts to a scene of Muffy, you know, getting ready for bed, and everybody else is gone, and all of a sudden you see Nan, who was kind of the bookish, shy, nerdy one, um, you know, jumps out and, and slits her throat. She starts screaming. But then you realize that that was also a trick and it was all fake blood. And, and Nan, you know, says, April Fools. 
and then it cuts to like the last shot. It cuts to the little um, Jack in the Box, and the little Jack in the Box winks, and it's like, hmm, okay. Um, did they say April Fools in this movie one too many times for it to be effective? Could it have been more effective if they had used that a little bit less? I thought maybe so. Like if they had cut the movie off. If they wanted this to be kind of a happy, upbeat, yay, it was all a joke, it's a spoof of, of horror movies like this, maybe cut it off in that one last scene when they're all in the room together laughing about what's happened and kind of celebrating this whole thing. Cut it off there. I don't know that it needed that very last scene. Supposedly in another copy of the script, um, and I haven't read the book, but there's a book too, that um, there was actually a much darker ending where the one of the characters came back and was he had just snapped and he was so angry that they had played this joke on him that he came back and he really did kill the Muffy character. So, you know, I however, obviously I'm not a director, so I was not chosen to direct this movie and, and decide how it should end, but... It seems to me that they might have re they might have reused the April Fool's gag or trope, um, you know, maybe one too many times or two or three too many times in this movie. But um, with some of the actors, it's kind of they almost feel like they're indifferent uh, to being in this movie. There are times where the acting is really not that bad at all. Um, Amy Steele in particular, um, you know, she was Jenny in the Friday the 13th part two. Um, she had the opportunity to kill quote unquote, kill, uh, Jason Voorhees in that movie. Um, in this one, you know, she really doesn't seem to do too much until, uh, she has a chance to start investigating some of the clues and, and get almost into like her Friday the 13th part two role. Um, you know, she's, she acts like sometimes she's just kind of indifferent to being in this movie. She's like, yeah, you know, I'm. I'm here, I'm on set, I'm making a movie. And then her character really kind of comes out when she's when she's got something to do, when she's investigating the clues. Deborah Foreman as Muffy slash Buffy was just kind of strange. At times, she was really creepy, like really creepy, very disturbed and disturbing. Um, but at other times, the way she delivered her lines was like she was reading from the script instead of acting. Um, so, you know, just a really, I think with the acting in this, it just kind of inconsistent, um, you know, sometimes the acting was decent, other times absolutely horrible. Uh, so, you know, I think, I, I don't know if that's a direction piece of it, but, um, you know, it, it's one of these movies that that's why it's a cult classic, you know, it's not going to win any awards for acting. It's not going to, you know, it's not going to be on anybody's top 10 list unless it's top 10 slasher films of the 1980s. Um, but I don't know that I would even put that in, in one of those lists. Uh, you find out that uh, Skip, the guy who was on the ferry at the beginning, uh, is not Muffy's cousin, as she said, that he's actually her twin brother. Um, and then there was the whole scenario about why she did all this and why it was a joke and what her intention was. Um, Muffy apparently is going to be able to keep this mansion as part of an inheritance, um, otherwise her dad is going to sell it off and she needs to prove that she can handle it and that she can make money, um, you know, or that she can keep the mansion maintained as it is. And so she wants to turn it into like a murder mystery vacation spot for people so that they can come and go through almost the same type, not as gruesome, but go through the same type of experience that she just put her, th her friends through. Um, and then at the very end of the movie, you have the whole thing with the jack-in-the-box winking at you, Nan slitting Muffy's throat, um, you know, fake slitting her throat. And if you didn't know this was a spoof, the, like, 
overly joyful, weird music at the end would kind of totally give it away that this is a weird, spoofy movie. Um, but yeah, um, there were a couple of scenes in particular. I, I said the one, the suspenseful one, was when Nikki goes down the well. There was that kind of creepy showdown uh, between uh, Buffy and Kit. Kit was uh, Amy Steele's character. And so that was kind of a creepy um, showdown kind of at the very end of it, right before she finds out that this is all uh, make-believe, that it's all been fake. Um, Those were some pretty good scenes. Otherwise, it's just kind of your standard slasher film stuff. All the deaths, and that's why it's not too violent, all the deaths take place off screen because obviously they're not dead. So they don't want to give that away uh, too much. So they, they do all that off screen and you don't really see anything. So, you know, kind of as it is, it's it's a movie that I, I would not tell you don't watch it. Uh, so I read a couple of reviews where people are like, don't even waste your time. You're not going to get your hour and a half back. If you like this type of movie, like if you like Scream, if you like some of the 80s slasher films, if you like Nightmare on Elm Street, if you like Friday the 13th, you may like this movie. So I would say definitely give it a try. At least start the movie off and see how it goes keeping in mind that you're really not going to get too much into the story or get going until about 45 minutes in. Like, I actually found myself a couple of times fast-forwarding a little bit uh, through certain parts just to see if something was going to happen. But that first 45 minutes was more watching the characters kind of go through their go through their emotions, get to know a little bit about them. But um, really, I, I think, you know, even at an hour and a half, this movie probably could have been a little bit shorter. Um, you know, a couple things, a couple things cut out here and there. Um, you know, but overall, I think it, it wasn't too bad. You know, if you like this type of movie, definitely give it a try. What was fun was it being made by the same studio as Clue. It had a kind of a Clue vibe to it. You know, obviously, this is more of a spoof and less of an outright comedy uh, that Clue was, and it doesn't have the the same kind of heart and the same kind of I don't know, just the, the joy of Clue. Clue is just fun from beginning to end, uh, at least in my opinion. And this one didn't really have that. So you might be, if you're trying to compare the two of those, you will find this one to be lacking. The problem with this one is, maybe the benefit and the problem of this one, is that the levity of this movie, because it always keeps it pretty light. I mean, yes, you do have people that are supposedly killed in gruesome ways. And it is a slasher, well, I'll put, I'll say, quote, slasher film. You definitely, I mean, you have people being killed, but they're not really killed. And you come to find out that this was a joke. And when they are killed, you don't see it done in violent ways. It's it's almost always off camera. All you ever see are maybe some severed heads, which you find out later are all props anyway, um, from a movie makeup guy. So... The funny thing about this movie is that it is it does keep it very light. So I, I think that those who love horror films and they love the slasher, gory horror film genre, they're probably going to be let, bit, let down by this. But if you are a slasher, like an 80s teen slasher film completist, and you just want to see every movie that's out there that's like this, you probably should at least see this once. If you like the movie Scream and you like 80s movies and other films in this genre, you might give it a chance because it's obviously in that in that kind of realm, in that um, same vein. And it does, you know, it, it does a serviceable job of, of taking what you expect to have happen and, um, you know, 
doing a little, little bait and switch on you here. I mean, hence the whole April Fool's thing. So if that's your thing, and if subverting the genre and however else you want to put it of the slasher films, if that's something that you enjoy, then I would say definitely give this movie a try because it's at least worth uh, a one-time watch through. I'm not a huge, huge film of the slasher movie genre, especially from the, the 80s teen ones. I mean, I like Nightmare on Elm Street and I like some of those others, but this is not my favorite genre of movie. I was fairly entertained by this movie, as I've said already. It was a little slow to start off with, so I, I could have done with that moving a little bit quicker. But, uh, you know, it was it was entertaining, especially when you got to about halfway through the movie and things really got going. That's when it, I it kept my interest the whole time, um, you know, knowing that I knew what it was going in. I don't think I was that disappointed. Um so it may just, it, obviously, as with any movie, it's going to depend on your background, your likes. Um, but I would say it's it's probably definitely worth giving it a try if you like this type of movie or if you liked the movie Scream. So, yeah, give it a try. See how you like it and let us know. Uh, get in touch with us, 30podcast.com. Let us know what you thought of the movie. Again, this is going to be, this was just a, a kind of a short one here real quick. just thought it would be an interesting uh, time to pull out this 1986 movie called April Fool's Day on April Fool's Day. Going back real quick, we did not see Captain America Civil War. So, I mean, if, if you want to email and, and ask questions and things like that, that's fine. But um, anything that I tell you about Captain America Civil War will, will totally be made up because uh, we did not get to see a special sneak preview of it or anything like that. Um, but... Um, I, I wish. I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. So here at the end of the episode, I wanted to give a quick shout out to a few people that I met at C2E2 in Chicago this year. Uh, if you live anywhere near Chicago uh, or are willing to drive, C2E2 has been a great event. I've gone for the last probably four years now, and I've taken my family, took my son starting about three years ago, uh, and he went dressed up as Captain America. The kids love to, to dress up and to get their pictures taken with other people that are cosplayers or uh, dressed up. And and uh, the last two years we've actually taken and uh, the kids have dressed up. And this year I had my wife, my mother-in-law, my son and my daughter and myself were all dressed as Star Wars characters. Uh, so if you actually if you are following our Instagram account, um, Instagram slash uh, Instagram dot com slash 30 podcast, you may see some of the pictures up there. I did post some pictures from C2E2 on our Instagram but we went this year, and uh, there were several, uh, there were actually a couple of different people that I met, had a chance to talk to for a little bit, and I want to give them a quick shout out just because I was so impressed with uh, this one in particular, uh, metalsouls.com. Uh, if you take a look at their website, I was so impressed with these sculptures that they had. Um, I'm looking at their website right now. And basically what they do is they take old car and motorcycle engines. I, I thought it was just other scrap metal, but it's, uh, according to their website, it's car and motorcycle engine parts. And they take them and they kind of, um, some melted, uh, some kind of melted or molded into particular shapes. And then they craft them into uh, different types of statues. So the one I got in particular, um, which I think I may have also put up on Instagram, but uh, if I haven't, I'll do that pretty soon, uh, was an alien, the xenomorph from uh, the alien movies. And it's just, it's amazing. Um, the tail is, uh, it looks like a bike chain. It's apart from a, a motor, a car, a motorcycle motor. But, um, you know, the tail is made of that. Then the, the fingers are nails that have been bent into shape. Um, the rest of the body is a combination of nuts and bolts and different other scrap metal. 
Um, just amazing what these guys are able to do with this. I've seen some sculptures like this in a couple of different places, um, but not only were these just amazing to see, they were not that expensive either, um, particularly at C2E2. Uh, the prices may be a little bit different on their website, but it was just, uh, you know, for the, the size statue that I got of the alien, uh, it was maybe $59. So not ridiculous at all, um, you know, for something like this. And it just, they're very, very cool. So you got to go to their website, check it out, metalsouls.com. Uh, they do, uh, when they're finished making them, they do polish and they coat the, um, uh, coat the statues with a, a protective coating that keeps them from rusting. Um, but it's just, it's really cool. And they've got some videos up on YouTube of how they put everything all together. Again, that's metalsouls.com. Uh, so I was just really impressed with it. I love my alien that's up with the rest of my stuff uh, down in the comic book cave that I've got down in our basement. And uh, just thought it was really cool. So I wanted to give them a shout out. The other one was a comic book artist. Um, actually, he did the he did the colors and the story uh, for the 80s Undead. And I picked up his graphic novel. Um, somebody had mentioned to me, like, you got to go check this guy out. He's got a booth. He's got this comic called The 80s Undead. Uh, I know you like the 80s, so go take a look at it. Uh, here's the basic premise of the comic. It's 1986. First of all, that caught me right there because obviously our podcast is in 1986 this year. Uh, but here's the premise of the story. It's 1986 and Russia's last ditch Cold War effort is to strike at our American excess lifestyle with bioengineered Colombian cocaine. What happens when two girls out for a good time cross paths with a huge celebrity party hyped up on commie zombie blow? Radical undead action, man. Totally. And I, at that point, was hooked. So um, I have not had a chance to read it yet. One other thing that I thought was kind of cool about this graphic novel is uh, he does list in different sections of the comic a soundtrack that you can listen to. Um, I believe he's got it up as a Spotify playlist. But it's a soundtrack of songs that you can listen to that fit with certain pages in the comic. So I thought that was kind of cool, too, is not only does he have this comic that's, you know, along the same genre of what we kind of look at here on the 30-something podcast, um, being in the mid-80s, but this was a really neat way of kind of tying in. It's not just a comic book. It's got a social media tech aspect to it. Um, and I'm kind of a techie guy, and that's my day job anyway. So I thought that was kind of cool for him to have a, a Spotify playlist that's listed in the comic itself. Um, now, granted, if you're trying to read this comic, you know, 15, 10, 15, 20 years from now, who knows if Spotify is still going to be there. But um, as of right now and for right now, I thought it was kind of cool that he has a soundtrack set up to go along with the comic that you can listen to uh, while you're reading it. So wanted to give those two guys a shout out. There were other people that I met as well uh, while I was there. A couple of podcasters. I think we mentioned them on one of the last few shows. Um, had some great podcasts I've been listening to lately. Uh, I've mentioned some of those on Twitter, but in particular the 80s Reboot Overdrive. Um, been listening to those guys and enjoying their show. Uh, and then I've been listening to Too Much Scrolling lately. Um, those guys, are just they're very easy to listen to. And they are uh, Chicago guys also, so we've got to give them a local shout out. Um, and just a lot of good stuff out there. West Wing Weekly. Okay, we've we kind of went nuts the other day um, when we were we decided to start. Uh, Jeff and Pat and I decided that during our lunch break one day each week we're going to go back and rewatch an episode of The West Wing to get ready to listen to The West Wing Weekly. And I happened to tweet that uh, um, we were doing that, and I said thank you to Josh Molina and uh, the other host of the show. 
and all of a sudden Jeff like stops and he's like scrambling to get the remote and he pauses uh, the episode that we're watching on Netflix and he's holding his phone and he goes, Josh Molina just liked your tweet. And we kind of had a little, almost like a Big Bang Theory geek out moment there for a second. And uh, I don't want to say there was like, you know, high-pitched squealing, but there might have been some high-pitched squealing. So, but I don't want to say it, so I'm not going to, well, I just said it, so yeah, forget it. I'm so bad at, at all this, like life. Right? But you know what? Hey, even if I'm bad at life, Josh Molina liked my tweet. So I'm going to be riding high for at least, that's going to give me at least like a decade that I'm good for. So, um, but yeah, so that was kind of fun. And we've been listening to uh, West Wing Weekly. So a lot of great stuff out there. We got a lot of stuff, great stuff going on here. We would love to have you come back and join us again uh, here, actually just in a few days, because this was a, a surprise release we hadn't really had planned on. Um, so in a few days, if you want to come on back, we're going to be taking a look at Short Circuit. Um, I'm going to try to watch, I have not watched it yet, but I'm going to try to watch Chappie this weekend, because I wanted to see it when it came out in theaters, just didn't get a chance to, and I've heard a lot of people make some uh, correlations between Chappie and Short Circuit, and just the parts that I had seen of Chappie. Um, you know, it's got some 80s stuff in it, and obviously you've got a robot, and you've got similarities between the Chappie robot and the Appleseed manga and all kinds of other stuff. So I want to try to take a look at that before we do our Johnny Five discussion on uh, Monday. If you've got any feedback for us about any of our movies, uh, but in particular Short Circuit, uh, you can get that to us before Monday. We are recording Monday afternoon, Monday night. You can either get that to us by going to 30podcast.com, and that's got all the different ways you could possibly get a hold of us. It's got our voicemail line, email, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, what else is there? I don't even know what else there is. Um, but it's we've probably got it. If it's out there, we've probably got it. There might be a way to get us smoke signals and, and so that we can you know see what's going on. Uh, but if you go to 30podcast.com, we've got all that stuff there. Or you can hit us up on Facebook. You can tweet us at 30 Podcast. Um, get a hold of us, let us know what you're thinking. And uh, yeah, definitely, if you want to give us some feedback before we get to our short circuit episode, that's coming up on Monday. And then we'll be releasing that one on Wednesday. And if you've got some feedback on this one, uh, April Fool's Day, if you've got some feedback on Batman versus Superman, because I know we are the only podcast that was doing anything with Batman and Superman coverage. So we are here to fill the void. So since there were no other podcasts out there that were doing this, um, we know he, we are your one place to go if you want to talk Batman versus Superman. If you've got some feedback on any of the other ones we've covered lately, we'd love to hear from you. Suggestions for other 80s movies, 80, 1986 movies for us to cover, let us know. Before I go real quick, I just remembered um, I did get a little notice on my computer just a few seconds ago about the CNN 80s uh, documentary that we're kind of doing, the series that they're doing on the 80s. Check that out. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. I'm going to go watch it. Um, but there is that, the CNN 80s series. And I mentioned it on a previous episode, but if you live anywhere near the Chicago area, uh, Northbrook, Illinois, otherwise maybe more popularly known around the country and around the world as Shermer, Illinois, maybe, those of you, um, is uh, the Northbrook Public Library is rebranding themselves as the Shermer Public Library for the month of April, and they are offering a whole bunch of 80s programming. Um, they're going to do an 80s TED Talk, uh, apparently Ted Tarted, Ted Tarted, um, <clears throat> Ted Tarted in 1980, sound like Buckwheat from uh, Saturday Night Live, okay, you can go to the Northbrook Public Library and take a whistle. 
Um, but the Northbrook Public Library is doing a whole bunch of 80s programming for the kids. They're reading 80s uh, children's books. They're doing friendship bracelets. There's some 80s trivia and a, con and a, a costume contest one night. Um, they have an author coming to talk about the music and the pop culture and all the other stuff that makes up the 80s. So, and they're doing a, um, oh, they're doing, is it, I don't know if it's all John Hughes movies, but they're doing um, an 80s movie day. Um, I want to say it's on one of the Saturdays in April, and I don't have it right in front of me, but I will put it up on the website or send it out on Twitter. Check their website as well. Um, I, I believe they are at NorthbrookPL um, on Twitter, so check them out. Um, but they're doing a, a movie day where they're showing four different 80s movies, starting with The Breakfast Club. Um, I think the next one is Some Kind of Wonderful. Another one is Pretty in Pink and 16 Candles, and that might be it. Those might be the four. Um, but again, don't have it right in front of me, so uh, I will, I'll try to get that put up for you, or you can just check their website out or go to uh, their Twitter account, and you can probably find some of it there. They're at NorthbrookPL on Twitter. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time. Hey, what the hell, you're crazy.